The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. Good morning. Psalm 16, a victim of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and for my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The sense reading of God's word. Thanks again, Sue. Can you guys hear me okay over this fan? It's a little loud. The breeze feels good, though. It's worth it. I can talk louder. I can talk louder if I need to. Um, well, as we dig into Psalm 16 this morning, I'll say this at the start, that I am thinking of today's message as essentially a continuation of our message from two weeks ago. Um, as the last time I spoke here, we were looking at Psalm 77. That was a psalm of Asaph, so it's a different psalm. It was a different author, and the link that I see between these, these two psalms is that both Asaph and David, in each of their psalms, they are exercising the muscles of faith. This is a phrase that I used when we were here two weeks ago. And I'll, I'll just speak for myself and say that this is something that I, I feel like I need to regularly be reminded of. This is something that I need to be encouraged to do regularly because it's just way too easy for me to just get spiritually lazy, to become spiritually disengaged, to be um, spiritually, I don't know how else to put it, spiritually wimpy at times and to just not lean into the life of faith that I know God is calling me to pursue. Maybe you can relate with me on that. I hope that you don't, I, but I would have to guess that many of, of you do. Now, by way of reminder, in Psalm 77, that we looked at two weeks ago, the way that we saw Asaph doing this, exercising the muscles of faith, was primarily through two things. On the one hand, we saw him doing this through bold, brutal honesty with God. Remember this? He was praying, he was praying, his soul could find no rest. He talked about being troubled, he talked about being exhausted. He said things like, will the Lord reject forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Right? And so this was one way 
as odd as this may sound, this was one way that Asaph exercised the muscles of faith. It was by pouring his heart out to God. Grief, uh, doubts, dis disillusionment, feelings of abandonment, all of it. He just, he, he spilled it all out. But the thing that we also learned is that he didn't just stop there. He did another thing. The next thing that we saw him do was to engage in the discipline of remembrance. He took a walk down memory lane. He began to remind himself of who, who God has shown himself to be throughout time. His acts of kindness and steadfast love, his faithfulness, his power shown in times past. Stones of remembrance we talked about. Okay, And so that right there, that's a bit of a recap from two weeks ago, but it's more than that. You know, this I'm, I'm just simply reminding us of some of these spiritual exercises that are available to us so that we will remember to remember. Okay? So that we don't forget to remember these things. So remember, everybody, remember not to forget this stuff. My, my tongue's getting tied up here. Now, what about David in Psalm 16 here? In what ways do we see him exercising the muscles of faith? And the primary way that we see him doing this is through prayer. And so not too different from what we saw Asaph doing, and yet there's plenty here for us to uncover. I would say that the prayer of Asaph differs from the prayer of David in a great many ways. There's new things here for us. There are new exercises for us to learn. And as we look at this, I think that we're, what we'll notice is a bit of a progression that happens through the psalm from beginning to end. That just It just naturally comes about in David's prayer. There's like a flow to the prayer. It has movement. It, it, as it goes, it opens up. And so here's an outline that follows this progression through the psalm for us. So three aspects of prayer. First off, we see what I would call the draw of desperation. The draw of desperation. In David's experience of desperation, he drew near to God. The second thing that we see is the discipline of declaration. Okay, This is where a lot of this exercising comes about. This is where we see a lot of this exercising of the muscles of faith. And then the third thing that we see is the development of delight. Really honing in on deeds this morning, okay? Pastor Doug honing in on deeds. Um, the development of delight. This, this is what you might think of as actual muscle development. Is like bulking up, okay? The, the, the byproduct of exercise. So one more time on these. The draw of desperation, the discipline of declaration, and then the development of delight. So beginning with the draw of desperation. Please look back with me at verse 1. And I just want to point out that this entire psalm is a prayer. From, from beginning to end, David's praying. And he begins this prayer by saying, preserve me. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. You look at other uh, translations on this one verse, you'll read things like, keep me safe, O God. Protect me, God. And this may seem like a small thing to attribute in an entire point of our message to, because this right here is the only, the, verse one, 
is the only indication in the entire psalm that, that anything might be wrong at all. This is the only mention that we really get from David that something is afoot. He doesn't say anything else remotely like this for the remainder of the psalm. And so this might even seem like a formality that he's going through. Uh, we're, we're accustomed to Asaph. It's Psalm 77, Asaph. He's like letting it all hang out. This is not what David seems to be doing here. Our Asaph's got his arms stretched out all through the night. He's crying aloud to the Lord. David is just asking for preservation and protection. And so maybe this, maybe this, I don't know, maybe this is just a formality. Maybe this is a small thing, but I don't, I don't think it is. Most people who comment on this psalm, they don't think that either, because it's the first words out of David's mouth. It's, 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 the, it's his impulse. It's the impulse that tips the first domino of this prayer in this psalm. It, it's the initiating element that launches him into this prayer. And we could criticize him for that, maybe. We could say, come on, David. It shouldn't take trouble to get you, get you praying. Sometimes it's okay to just pray, David. It, you know, you're, you're being very self-focused. You're being self-infatuated in these sorts of things. And actually, a whole lot of, a whole lot of the psalms sound like this. The, the, a whole lot of psalms begin this way. In fact, if you read through all of David's psalms, you might get the idea that this guy is like always in trouble, like that, he, he, that he's always in a jam. Like he's a trouble magnet or something like that. But it may be simply that trouble, not always, not always, but often is the thing that gets David engaged in the act of prayer. That, that, that gives him a, a nudge to begin to engage with God. And I'm not going to give him a hard time about this. Because anytime that we feel desperate for God's help, anytime that we feel like without him we're in trouble, anytime that we feel like a pressing need for him to move in and be our protection and be our preservation and be the safekeeping of our soul and of our lives, anytime we feel that impulse within us, I think that we're close to the real thing and that we're coming to the right place. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give David a hard time about this. I mean I've I've been talking about exercise. We often think that in order to come to God in prayer, that we need to be spiritually fit. Like unless I'm like really in tip-top shape, I can't really come and break into a prayer. Like we need to get our spiritual act together, gather ourselves, you know, so that we can begin to pray. We need to be, begin our prayers with something really spiritual. I don't know how else to put it. Something elevated. The thing that we need to do, I think, is do what David's doing here. We need to begin where we find ourselves. When, I was thinking about this, like when we roll up to some place, maybe church, uh, maybe when we put our cars in park, our trucks in park, when we get to work, when we get to some kind of gathering of people, what do we sometimes do? What do we often do? We look in the rear view, right? Check our hair, if we've got any. Shape our beard up a little bit. Um, smooth out our shirt. Make sure that we, we look together. Maybe we, maybe, I don't know, maybe we 
smear a few tears off of our face. I mean, I don't know, driving sometimes really gets me thinking. There's something about moving that really gets me thinking about the heavy things that are going on in my life. So we smear our tears, come in. Somebody says, how are things, Doug? What do, we, what, what do we often say? Great. Doing great. Business is good. Family's great. Kids are great. Marriage is great. Car's not so great. Weather's could be better, but outside of that, things are peachy. Peachy keen. Where did that phrase come from? Peachy keen. What is that? I don't even know what that really means. Thanks for asking. How about you? Great. I'm great. <laughs> Meanwhile, our lives are falling apart, right? Sometimes, not always. And we can fool one another, maybe. I'm not sure, so sure that we do, but we can fool ourselves, maybe. But we can't, we can't fool him. He knows. This is the thing. He knows. And so it is a fool, fool's errand for us to try to fix ourselves up, dust ourselves off, smear the tears in... in, in Dear Heavenly Father, you know? Paul Miller, who's written some really wonderful stuff on prayer. I know he's got a, a, a book on, another book on prayer coming out very soon. A Praying Church, I think it's called. He put it like this. The very thing we are allergic to, our helplessness, is what makes prayer work. It works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. In another place, he says, instead of the real messy you meeting God, you try to recreate yourself by becoming spiritual. But instead of being paralyzed by who you are, begin with who you are. That's how the gospel works. God begins with you. It's a little scary, he says, because you are messed up. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. This is where David begins, okay? He begins precisely where he is. Preserve me, O God. Protect me. And this is where we should begin. If that's where we are, if this is where we find ourselves, begin there. Begin where you are and go from there. Let your desperation draw you near to him, okay? Use that as a bridge to engage in prayer. But... We don't need to stay there. I think it's something that David is teaching us. We don't need to stay there. Now I'm going to start sounding contradictory, but hear me out on this. So we just considered the draw of desperation. Now let's consider the discipline of declaration. So unlike Asaph, David, he, he very quickly shifts gears. He, he shifts into a completely another, uh, different gear. And some prayers need to be Asaph types of prayers, in fact, I would say that if you pay attention to David, David's got plenty of those Asaph types of prayers. Um, but some prayers can and should sound like this one. This is, I would call this like an exemplary sort of a prayer. So what, is, what does he do? What does David do? David pivots almost immediately from himself, from his troubles, to God. And then he, he, he gets into that lane, and he essentially just stays in that lane pretty much. For the, rest of, for the rest of the song. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't, this is where I might be sounding contradictory. Doesn't that kind of sound like David is, you know, smoothing himself off and shaping his 
beard up and essentially trying to recreate himself into someone who is more spiritual than he actually is? Is that what's going on here? And I would say no, no, because he, be he began where he was. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. What might this sound like? I'm, you know, I'm a mess, but you, God, are my place of safety. You're my refuge. You're my ballast. You're my sanity. You're, you, and knowing that, that this is the reality, now I can begin to exercise my faith. I can shift into this next gear. I can move into this other lane. And so he acknowledges what's going on inwardly, and then he intentionally turns from that and faces outwardly to God. He shifts his gaze from himself upwards to God. He shifts from his situation to the situation he finds himself in with God. And like so many other good things, like so many good, good practices that we have in our lives, this does not come naturally. This is not something that's just going to happen. This is not automatic. This often requires intentionality on our parts. So like other forms of exercise, it takes discipline. I'm, I'm not, a, some of you should be up here talking about this because clearly I'm not a big exerciser. Can't even use words properly. Is exerciser a word? I don't know. But if you exercise, you know this. It takes discipline. It requires commitment. It requires mindfulness. And if you read verse two, it even sounds this way. It sounds like this is the gear that David is in. Look back with me at verse two. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. It's almost like he's saying, I, I voice my trouble to the Lord. Now, what am I supposed to say? Okay, here's what I say next. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is what I say. Now, is this robotic? Is this mechanical? Is this phony stuff? No, this is like other things. This is development on the part of David. This is steps of growth into reality. It's not phony. It's an exercise that is bringing him closer to reality, to what's most real. We tend to think that our trouble is the thing that is most real, which makes sense because when you've got trouble going on in your life, it's loud, like this fan over here. It's pushy. It pushes us around. It seems like the biggest thing in the room. It always appears to be the greatest, the most powerful, the most present reality. Is that how it goes? I mean, when you're really in a jam, it's just like, I can't think of anything else. I can't get my mind off of this. This is just all there is. This is like the whole world right now. But David here is praying his way out of that perception of reality and into a new reality. And it says, you could say he's, he's taking himself by the hand and walking himself out of that room where that's the perceived reality. And he's bringing himself into a completely different space. He's doing this with effort, okay? With effort, he's bringing himself into this wide open space in which God... God is the biggest. God is the most powerful. God is the most present reality. But again, this doesn't just happen to us. This is not automatic. It's a discipline. It's a practice. He's choosing to do this. And by the way, in case you might get the wrong idea, he isn't just, he isn't just telling himself these things. 
He is praying, okay? He's telling God these things. He isn't just declaring these things to his own soul, although he is. He is doing that, but he's not just doing that. He's declaring these things to God. God, despite the greatness of my trouble, you are my Lord. And I have no good apart from you. This is the truth. This is the ultimate reality. That you're the greatest thing I've got going on. That you're my highest good. This trouble feels super big. It really does. But I know that it's small when it gets sized up with you. This is reality. David is declaring these things. He's stating them. It's a funny thing, I think. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I find that when we say true things out loud, they become more real to us. When we say real things out loud, they become more real to us. Declaration has a kind of authenticating power. It has a way of deflating the lies that we often tell ourselves, these narratives that we've got going on in our minds. But by saying these things, declaring these things, it has a way of sharpening our vision of what is real and true. Here's something else. You probably heard this before. If you did, you might have even heard it from me. I think I've said this up here a couple times in the past. I don't know how long it's been. Maybe you've forgotten. But did you know that you can really only think about one thing at a time? Have you ever thought about this? That you can only think, you can only really contain one thought at a time. I mean, try it out right now. Try to think about what you plan on having for lunch later, and at the same exact time, think about the title of your favorite movie. Go. You can't do it. I mean, you can you can juggle these thoughts, and we do this. We juggle thoughts all the time. We're like bing bang, bing bang, bing bang, back and forth like ping pong. But you can't think of them at the same time. You just can't do it. And this is one of the reasons why we need, I think, to pray more. If you often feel overwhelmed, it might be because you are perseverating on things that trouble you. The things that trouble you the most are the thoughts that you're staying with, that you're feeding, that you're nurturing. Those things are taking up that space where only one thing can exist at a time. And so you need to, to use a sports term, You need to bench those thoughts sometimes, anytime, really. And when you pray, I'm I'm not saying to, again, remember the first point. I'm not saying to ignore these things. I'm not saying don't pray about these things. Pray about your troubles. Do it. Definitely do it. But don't linger there. Shift gears like David does. Talk to God about your troubles, but then talk to God about God. Just kind of an odd idea? Talk to God about God? Like what? Talk to God about God. It isn't strange when we do this with others, is it? When we do this, it seems natural to say, hey, buddy, pal of mine, you're so helpful. I really appreciate you. You've been such a faithful friend through all these years. I'm so glad that we met. I'm so glad I've got you in my life. It's not odd when we do that. This is what David is, is doing here in many ways. Verse 5, he says, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 
I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. It's a practice, right? It's a discipline. I'm putting him in my line of vision again and again. And notice what he says in verse 4. He says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about what the Bible calls idols. Right? Idols are old, but they're not gone. We still They look different in our lives, I would say. What are idols? Idols are anything in our lives that we put in the place that only God belongs. Those things that we assume will rescue us out of our troubles. Like, man, I need help here. What are we looking to? Those things that we look to other than God in the hopes that those things will somehow overcome our sorrows. David tells us right here that in reality, those things will only increase our sorrows if we're not looking to him. What things in our lives, we should ask this question, what things in our lives have we disciplined ourselves, you might say, to run to for refuge. When we're talking about exercises, what we're really talking about, I think, is habits. I mean, exercise is a habit. What are your learned habits? What are your established habits? What are your daily rhythms and practices? If you have, have learned habits that need to change, if you recognize, like, I'm running to the wrong stuff, I've got my sorrows and I'm running to this and it's just creating more sorrows for me, Here's one suggestion. Begin to develop a habit of prayer. Begin to develop a habit of prayer. It'll take time. It'll take discipline. Draw near to God in your desperation. Pour it out. Shift gears. Begin to talk to God about God. Like David, set him within your field of vision. Listen how Martin Luther puts this. He says, this is in your time of reflection if you want to look at this. I think it's at the top. He says, the highest of all God's commands is this, that we ever hold up before our eyes the image of his dear son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He must daily be to our hearts the perfect mirror in which we behold how much God loves us and how well in his infinite goodness as a faithful God he has grandly cared for us, and that he gave us his dear son. And then get this, he says, do not let this mirror and throne of grace be torn away from before your eyes. Almost sounds like he's thinking of Psalm 16 when he says that, David's words. Continue to put it before your gaze. This is the mirror to look into. You want Jesus reflecting back to you, not you, him. Always keep it before you. And one of the chief ways that we can do this is through prayers. It's a very basic message, by the way, if you haven't noticed. We can pray. This is one way that we can exercise these muscles. We can pray. We can pray the gospel. Just thinking about what Martin Luther just said right here. We can say, thank you, God, for your infinite goodness and faithfulness to me and the way that you have grandly cared for me through your son. You loved me so well. You are loving me so well. 
You're my greatest good. You're my portion. You're my cup. All right, to, to end off, David moves from his desperation. You see this, like, trajectory he's on? He moves from his desperation onto the discipline of declaration. And then as we get to the end of the psalm, you'll notice he ends with what I would call the development of delight. The development of life, de delight. Please look back with me at verses 8 and 9. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. David's good habit, we see here, became David's greatest delight. David's good habit became David's great delight. And isn't this how our affections normally work when we're interacting with others? When we can, you know, kind of get beyond ourselves, when we can see beyond the length of our noses, when we, we sit across from someone and we're, we're with them, we're, we're sitting with them, we're engaging with them, we're listening to them, we're learning them. Something begins, I mean, over time, just think about friendship, any friendship drink. Over time, something begins to develop. You begin to care for this person. You, their troubles become your troubles. Their delights, over time, become your delights. And this is the experience that David is having with God. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. By keeping God within his vision, he actually caught sight of God. God became his friend. As we end off here, I, I do want to point something out. This, this psalm is so much more than maybe we realize. There, this is like, I was trying to think of a way to describe this. It's, it's got two different dimensions to it. it this, is, this is David, and you may not realize, but the, the, Jesus is in this psalm. We know this because if you go to Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon that we heard preached by, the, by Peter, the first sermon of the church, in, involves this. So maybe we ask the question, okay, d delight, how, you know, what am I... How am, I, how am I to extract delight here, Doug? You know, you're telling me it's through spending time. I, there's certain people that I spend time with that I, the more time I spend with them, the less time I want to spend with them. I don't delight in them. What, what's here? What, what's to be seen? This is, this psalm gives us an incredible picture of Jesus. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, beginning... In verse 22, Peter's he's preaching the first sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So this is all this is all within the scope of God's 
plan, his intentions. This was not accidental, Peter's telling us. This was God's definite plan. This was in the foreknowledge of God. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then get this, verse 25, for David says concerning him, concerning Jesus, here we go, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. This is, this is where the delight's coming from. The delight's in Jesus. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. I won't continue to read on, but if you continue to read on in Acts chapter 2, what Peter says in so many words is, David, our brother in times past, he went to the grave. He was corrupted. But Jesus, who came from the line of David, did not. He was raised up. He's our ultimate hope. He laid down his life that he might become our ultimate delight. He became the pathway that we might experience true forgiveness, true reconciliation with the Father, real freedom in the face of our desperation. It's good news. So, practical. Practical ending here. I would encourage all of us, myself, I'm talking to myself here, exercise the muscles of faith. How? Pray. You got a bad habit? I've got a few. Begin to crowd that habit out with a new habit. Establish a good habit of engaging with God in prayer. Start exactly where you are, precisely where you find yourself. Don't wait until you're, by your, your own estimation, cleaned up, spiritually fit, and ready to go. You won't get there. Start where you are. Engage him. Draw near to him in your desperation. Shift gears and begin to pray the gospel into your life. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for um, just how dynamic your word is. It's, it's not one-dimensional. It's not two-dimensional. I'm not even sure that it's three-dimensional. It's cosmic. It speaks directly to our very real needs. And oh, how we need the good news of the gospel. We thank you that this is news. That this is speaking to us about something that has already been accomplished. This isn't something that needs to be done. It's something that has been done, and it's been done in full. We thank you that through your Son we can experience true liberation, true delight, in part for now and full later. We pray that you would give us an increasing foretaste of that. We pray that we would taste it richly throughout the remainder of our service this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.